leader for tonight is Phil. Thank you so much for inviting me um, and the opportunity to qualify here this evening. Hi, I'm Phil. I'm a compulsive overeater. And to get some numbers out of the way, the highest weight I've ever been in my life is about 399 pounds, 400. I don't know. It's somewhere around there. It was a broken scale, but I know that I would count the scale in spins because it's spun around a lot. Um, and then my waist size got up to 67 inches. That's the biggest that I know about. It may have been a little bit bigger. Um, and this would have been back in college around 2006, if my recollection is correct. In fact, um, I think I still have a virtual background. This is me at one point in my past. Um, I was probably in the 350s there, maybe 370s. Definitely not my top weight, but getting up there a little bit. So just wanted to um, give a little bit of history there. Um, I've lost weight outside of the program successfully um, for about six months or so until it would all come back. Um, I've been all over the yo-yo, up and down, up and down. Um, and then I finally showed up in program, and that's when I've lost about 105 pounds in program, and I've been keeping it off now for quite a ways. Um, I'm by year and eight months absent now, somewhere around there. I came in in February of 2019, got absent March 8th of 2019, and you know, I've been absent one day at a time by God's grace in this program. So let's go back a little bit to when I was a kid. Um, growing up, my parents didn't cook. Everything I had was burnt. Um, my parents only bought fast food, so it was the fast food meal of the night. That was dinner every single day, and the addiction started very early. My pre-K photos is where I see a very sad me frowning in every single photo. Something happened that year. I don't know what, but I was frowning in pretty much every single photo I've ever looked at from that year when I was about three or four years old. Um, going on a little bit later into my childhood, around the time I was eight, I got a dog. His name was Santana after the singer, and my mother chose the name. He was Black Lab, and he would greet everyone at the door except for me. He would go running for his food dish every time I came home because he knew that I was a compulsive overeater and would go after his food. And, you know, I never really realized it at the time, but that's how he treated me. He would always guard his food around me. And that was the only thing he cared about because he knew I was an eater. Um, as a kid, I had a couple major binges with um, some sweets. So sugar doesn't really do it for me today. Um, never did. I, in fact, if I have too much sugar, I get sick to my stomach even to this day. And that wasn't how I put on weight. It was through the fast food, the fried greasy stuff. And that's really what my absence had to be based on because that's what my major problem was even today. Um, so moving forward a little bit, my first time in actually eating out in a restaurant was with my aunt when I was about 13 years old and I didn't realize that entrees are big so I ordered two entrees for myself just to be sure that I would have enough food for myself and I proceeded to eat both of them completely and that was a lot of food 
probably about five or six thousand calories worth and i was ready for a third entree which my aunt couldn't believe um so that's just the kind of volume eater i was so once i got into college in 2006 you know i kind of hit my top weight you know it was hard to buy clothes i had to go to the specialty shops and you know, one time a comedian once said on the stage, you know, if you're too big for the shirts I have, just come up and we'll start cutting the curtain. Like that was the range of obesity I was in. You know, we had to go up there to the stage and start cutting the curtain. Pretty sad, but, you know, I would laugh at the time, you know, and laugh at myself, you know, thinking it was all good. Well, inside I was severely hurting. Um, got to the point where I couldn't walk across my college dorm room where I took up computers just so that I could get a light to turn on off from across the room without having to get out of my bed to do it. And I was determined to solve all my problems and figure it out per se. Um, later on in the program, I would learn that figuring it out is not one of the tools of recovery. Um, going a little bit further into college, um, finally lost weight, or so I thought I did. I took a course in nutritional sciences. I learned how to eat just bounced right back though. I had no clue why at the time either. That was a strange thing. I had no clue. And in fact, in the big book on I think like 23 or 24, it says, ask the alcoholic um, why he went on that last bender and he has as little clue as you do. And the truth is I had no clue. Like I just knew I was eating. I couldn't stay away from the fried food. I really couldn't. Um, and I'll even remember the night when I, right when I finally gave up all of that food for the six month period that I was successful, like I threw all that food in the garbage. Where did that willpower go? Was self will run riot when I went back into the fried food and it was that first compulsive bite. That's what I remember from college. So after college, I moved from Buffalo, New York, where I grew up to New York City. And this would have been 2011. Um, for the first six months, I was in the private sector, and work became my entire life. I put on the freshman 15 all over again. I got up to about 325 pounds that year. I thought, oh, my God, I can go on diet and lose weight again. So I lost 20 pounds, only to put it back on. And there was a lot of yo-yoing. But the major thing that happened in New York City within a few years was the fact that, one, I discovered my joy of walking. So I loved walking. And it's a low impact exercise. And two, I got this really weird micro dizziness. Like it felt like the world was falling. I describe it as one night I was walking across Brooklyn Bridge and it felt like Brooklyn Bridge was falling down. My vision went black and I couldn't see or hear anything for about 30 seconds, but I was still standing. I felt like the bridge was shaking and having an earthquake. It was all in my head, of course. Um, I was with a friend who was asking me what's going on, you're acting weird and all of that. Um, the doctors, all 30 of them can't ever give me a solution to it. They couldn't tell me what it was. They couldn't tell me why it was. They thought it was all in my head too. They thought that I was crazy. And we, through all of the medical testing that they did though, we discovered that I did have some permanent damage. My um, artery in my neck is 50% blocked. That's not going away. That's from the weight and all the fat and artery clogging goodness. Um, I also had severe allergies, which are kind of getting better. 
And the other remarkable thing was my epiglottis is malformed. The little um, thing that sends food down versus um, ear, the chooser thing in my neck, that's malformed. And the reason why it's malformed is because I had enormous stress growing up and my way of stress management was to scream in a pillow every single night. And as a result, I gained sleep apnea, which is a traditional obese condition where I don't breathe my sleep, except for it's because of this malformed epiglottis, it's still here even though I've lost a lot of weight. And that's another permanent problem that I'm going to have to deal with. And uh, the doctors say, you know, you can surgically correct it, but the cure might be worse than the disease at that point. So that's something else I'm living with today. So enough about the negativity of the 100 pounds that I was way over. You know, let's get into a little bit of the positive side um, of my recovery. So I came in February of last year, and I came into a room at St. Mary's on 46th Street, right near Times Square, the capital of the world, um, some people might say, for financial um, needs in New York City. And I went to that meeting. And I, my sponsor is the first person I ever called. He, I got connected to him through my nutritionist because my nutritionist um, was my nutritionist for him also. So when we connected, because she said, why not give this guy a call? Like, you know, maybe, you know, this OA thing can help you out a little bit. Ten minutes. Thank you. He's, you know, he said, why not come to a meeting? And I did. And you know, I heard so much recovery in there, and I said, there might be something wrong here. Maybe I should try these steps, you know, these 12 steps that they're talking about. And I went, heard a wonderful qualification that night also on step nine in amends. And I knew I've hurt people. So I decided, you know what? What the heck? What, what do I have to lose? Let's try this. So I eventually got him as my sponsor, my official sponsor. And, you know, that was just basically asking him a couple of times because he had what I really wanted. And the program suggested to me in the rooms, get a sponsor and ask him if they have what I truly want. And I wanted to have 100 pounds off. I came in here for the vanity. You know, I wanted the weight loss. What I'm here for today, though, is the sanity. Like, I've learned that it goes much deeper much, much cheaper. So once I got into the program, I really committed. Um, my sponsor was offering a 12-step, 15-week workshop in the green book, um, the green workshop book. And that book um, basically does a step a week, or that's how it's assigned in a group format. And I got through the first three steps fairly quick because I knew that life was unmanageable because of my disease, because my weight, I couldn't walk, I couldn't enjoy life, I was only gaining weight, I couldn't think, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't do anything. So all this fatigue and everything, life was unmanageable and I knew it was the fried food. Then step two was hope. I looked around the rooms, I saw a lot of recovery and said, maybe I can do this too. And then step three, well, you know, God kind of failed me in the past, but I really do have a spiritual foundation for God. I do believe that, you know, God is kind of like the clock. You know, the clock keeps moving forward no matter what I am. I'm a speck of sand. Everything's going to keep moving. The sun's going to rise and set tomorrow just like it's always done. No matter what I try doing, I'm powerless over it. So why even try? 
So once I realized and connected them, I had, I said, God's the universe. I'm a part of the universe. Everyone else is too. That's my conception of God. Let's run with it. So then I got to the dreaded step four. And step four, I started thinking, who do I have a resentment against? Everyone. Everyone I ever knew or thought I knew or anything I ever knew of or interacted with was a resentment. That list of resentments took me about two weeks to write out. I took off several days of work to write it all out, too, because I was saying, oh, I'm going to get all the resentments down. That sack of paper, like I had to wait for the printer for quite a while to print it all out because I put it all in Excel so I could type faster. Uh Um, So after I got all the resentments out, then I dealt with fear. There's about 350 known fears on the internet that are medically accepted. I had a good 150, 200 of them. Um, So I had lots of fear there too. I harmed people, so I wrote all of that out, and then I went to my sponsor and did step five. What I learned is I'm not terminally unique. In fact, I identified heavily with a lot of his experience. He also pointed out to me a lot of black holes in my memory that I forgot, memories I forgot. And all of the fears were clues around these memories. So with the last bit of time I have, you know, I just want to say that I made my amends and that was awesome. And I learned that happiness is really equal to reality minus expectations. I always had this expectation of controlling everything and therefore, you know, reality never met that. So I was never happy. So that's how I found my true happiness. But then... Um, about three months ago, well, a year into recovery, well over a year, I finally put a few more pieces together, thanks outside health program and more inventory of my fears and a lot of taking. And this is really the key for the 100-pound meeting. So back in adolescence, I was a big guy. Hormones in big guys don't mix. So I never felt attraction as a kid when I should have felt attraction. I didn't have those feelings in middle school like all the other kids had. When I got to college and I lost the weight, I got the feelings. Little did I know, my body wanted to fix itself. My subconscious wanted to fix me by putting the weight back on so I wouldn't have to feel the feelings of attraction in college with all the eye candy out there. So my solution was put weight on. And I didn't even realize I was completely blindsided by it. Now, let's get into program. I keep coming back, but the program had to have done something more for me. That I attribute to God, because God's really doing for me what I can't do for myself. God's minutes. Thank you. God's allowing me to feel things. And boy, do I not want to feel this attraction at all. In fact, it scares me some days into wanting to eat. But this program has these things called the tools of recovery. In my mind, I'm starting to think of them more as the tools of distraction. I've learned over time that the best way to get out of my addiction is find a distraction to get myself out of the addiction. That's what the food really was for a long time. By making outreach calls, I'm getting out of my head. I'm distracting myself from feeling the feelings. By writing, I'm getting them out on paper so that I can actually understand what my feelings are and I can talk to others about those feelings. By writing a meal plan, 
I can separate the feelings from what I actually need to eat. So that once again, I'm distracting the food and now I'm starting to clearly see the image of why I might be going for extra food when I really shouldn't be. It also makes my abstinence much easier to stick to. Um, by praying every day and meditating, I'm really learning how to sit in the feelings and understand the feelings and absorb them. So I'm becoming exposed to them little by little. And also, the literature has so much valuable information, like the big book saying with fear. Um, fear is almost like this big, huge, imaginable wall, but it's paper thin. I just have to push through it. And some of the fears I have pushed through. Other ones I've learned, I've actually linked it down to this core fear of attraction I have. And little by little, I'm making these connections. And it's only possible through the step work. Now, to jump back a little bit on step six, which is really where my character defects came in, I learned that I'm not a perfect person. I'm not as sane as the big book puts it, but I can grow into acceptance. And that means on page 417 of the big book, reading about acceptance being accepting things for what they are because I don't control them. And also on page 530, it talks about our adversities are just as important as our good qualities. Like my good and bad makes me whole. If it wasn't for this unique set of experiences, I might have never experienced the kind of life I've gotten thus far. I'm truly grateful for the life that I have today. You know, yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, I'd love to have everything to go perfect. But the truth is, perfectionism is a character defect that the program has taught me about. And it's also taught me about mind reading. So finally, with that idea, I just want to jump to the final conclusion that I've come up with you know, little by little, and I've heard it over and over again, which is, I want to be happy, joyous, and free in this program. Happiness is really, for me, abstinence of fear. I, I want to live away from fear because fear has run my entire life for way too long. It's made it unmanageable. Joyous means living in gratitude. It's easy to be negative. It's a lot harder to be joyous and, and living in gratitude and happy for what I have. And finally, freedom, meaning freedom from the obsession of this cunning, baffling disease, as the big book puts it. So, you know, today I'm going to live in the present. I'm not, I'm going to do my best to pray that I don't anticipate everything. Because a fellow once told me anticipation is one of the worst forms of torture that I can put myself through. And when I'm trying to anticipate something, I'm not living in today. I'm not being what my higher power wants me to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for the opportunity once again.